Welcome to the Catch the Fire Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us, and we hope you're encouraged by this message. Good morning. Y'all have a good Thanksgiving? Thanksgiving? I said in the first service, did anyone eat anything other than turkey? We had, I don't know, turkey chili and steak. Anyone have anything good? What? What's that? Oxtails. All right. You're so crazy. It took me a second. Oxtails. Can anyone beat oxtails? Ribs? Man, you got to have some ribs. All right. All right. I'm like, as long as there's some meat and stuffing. Anyone like loves stuffing? Stuffing is my favorite part. I'm like, oh my goodness. Gravy, stuffing, mashed potatoes. Americans love their casseroles though, you know? got your Thanksgiving casseroles? The South, this South, yeah, the South loves their casseroles. Well, well, very happy Thanksgiving from us, uh, from Jess and I. We love you all. We love this church family. Jess is like, you, you say it every week, but I just wanted to say, especially because it's Thanksgiving, I'm going to do it one more time at least. I want to say thank you to this church family. Y'all are amazing. Y'all are incredible. It's a great joy to, to uh, serve here at this church. And I've been reflecting over the last two weeks, just, or a few weeks actually, just Kind of the beauty of being a church family and community, of seeing uh, even some of the little babies here that have grown up in this house, seeing our, my own kids grow up in this house. Also, just, uh, you know, sometimes the sorrow and sometimes it's hard, but at the same time, having a community to mourn with those who mourn uh, when we've lost loved ones, uh, like Judy Abernathy a few weeks ago. And um, it's a joy to be in a community and to do life together. Amen. And so I, I personally just want to say thankful for y'all this Thanksgiving. Okay. There's my cheesy spiel over. Let's pray. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, for, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you, Lord, for your family. Lord, I ask that you would just come today and meet us where we are. Lord, wherever, wherever we are, wherever we've been this weekend, wherever, wherever we are today, Lord, I ask that you would meet us right where we are in our midst Lord, that you're not a God that only meets us on our uh, best days, but you meet us on our, in our highs and our lows and, and the ups and the downs. You are with us constantly. And whether this weekend was easy for us or maybe it was hard for some of us in this room, maybe it was a challenge with strained family relationships, uh, with loss of loved ones, with whatever it is, Lord, I just ask that you would come and meet us where we are today. Jesus, we are here for you. We are so grateful. We lift up our gratitude, even just as we are beginning to in worship. We lift up our thankful hearts to you this morning. And we say thank you for the way that you've carried us. Thank you for the way that you've been there for us. Thank you for your salvation. Lord, we're so grateful to you for your incredible kindness to us. That while we were yet sinners, you chose to come as a man and die on a cross for us. Lord, would you speak to us today with fresh word, uh, revelation from your word, from your Holy Spirit? Speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, we all said, Amen. Well, this morning I'm, I'm carrying on our legacy series, and I'm excited about it. I, I, I want to basically kick off this morning by rewinding the clock some uh, to back to 600 BC, okay? 
And we're going to hone in on a, a little area that historians call ancient Mesopotamia. Do you have any history lovers in the room? We've got like two history. All right, a few more people are feeling brave. They're like, okay, I'm not alone. I can raise my hand. Well, I love history. <laughs> um, and I, I didn't necessarily love some of the structure of school and writing uh, essays and things, but I loved learning. And so I remember taking uh, ancient history in high school and just learning all about ancient Mesopotamia. And so we're going to jump into a little history, quick little history lesson, okay? It's important for where we're going, I promise you. Uh, surrounding uh, Jerusalem and Judea at the time uh, in ancient Mesopotamia, around 600 BC, you had a few different powers around. You had uh, Egypt to the west, uh, Media to the north, which we know as Northwest Iran, and you had Babylon to the east. And we all, many of us have heard the stories of Babylon and, and Daniel, and we're going to get there in a minute. But at this time, Babylon was, uh, was a very powerful nation, and King Nebuchadnezzar was, was kind of going around and asserting his authority and, and dominating the lands around them. And he was going, he actually went to Judea, and he, he basically forced their allegiance away from the Egyptians and required for them to pay tribute to him in order for him to not attack them. Sounds a little bit like a mafia film. You pay me protection and I won't invade your country, right? And so the, the, the people of Judah, the Jews, had to pay a sort of bribe tax, a tribute to King Nebuchadnezzar in order to avoid being, uh, being attacked. And obviously with this, you know, there, there came a few uprisings. There came a few rebellions through the history of the different kings of Judah who, who, who didn't want to be controlled anymore by King Nebuchadnezzar. And the first one I want to hone in on is, is uh, King Jehoiakim, who refused to pay the tax to pay the tribute to King Nebuchadnezzar anymore. And, and what do you all think happened? Death. Yes. Jacob just, our youth pastor, death. Short and sweet so the youth can understand, right? That's a joke. I love y'all, okay? I was a youth pastor for 10 years. Anyways. So he refuses. He's like, I don't want to pay this anymore. I don't want to pay this tribute tax. And just as King Nebuchadnezzar had promised, well, you're not going to pay, then you're going to be invaded. So he comes and he actually takes uh, King Jehoiakim's son, who was then reigning when they were invaded, and he takes him and some of the officials and brings them to Babylon into exile. Then in the ninth year following after this, uh, King Zedekiah was reigning and he began to conspire to revolt with Egypt against King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. What do you all think happened this time? That's right. King Nebuchadnezzar came back. Y'all alive? King Nebuchadnezzar came back. And so this time, this, this brought about the Babylonian and uh, Jewish war. And King Nebuchadnezzar came back and he began to siege the city. And they broke through the city walls and they took 10,000 men back to Babylon. And then there was uh, another siege later on where they actually burnt down uh, the walls and they burnt down much of the city. So this was a time of uh, great tension, right? This was a time of war. How many know war is not pretty? This was a time of lives being lost, of people uh, being in hunger and impoverished. And when a city's in siege and your city is surrounded, the trade routes and the, the food coming into the city is no longer possible. So 
in one of these sieges, uh, historians say that the Jews would have most likely also gone into cannibalism at one point. I'm just trying to paint a picture. Like, this is devastating. People are experiencing incredible hunger and death and struggle. And, and in the midst of this, as, as they break through the walls, as the people are being murdered, then some 10,000 men are stripped away from their home, from their comforts, from the things they know, being dragged off into a foreign land, surrounded by people who don't act, think, talk like them, <laughs> people that probably don't like them. I don't think the Jews were probably particularly liked in Babylon because they were, you know, the exiles coming into their nation. It's coming to a place where you're not accepted, you don't belong in the midst of all the trauma. It's a lot, right? And in this place, in this time, there was a prophet in the land, a prophet named Jeremiah. Somebody say Jeremiah. Jeremiah. And Jeremiah was, he was very different to the other prophets. You know, the other prophets were... uh, prophesying all sorts of things, but Jeremiah basically came and was saying much of the opposite of what the wise men and the the prophets were saying at the time. And I I feel that it's helpful for us to understand just sort of the context, the traumatic experience of these wars, of the exile of the people, of the loss of life, of the famine, of maybe even some of the horrific things that people had done in the midst of being uh, besieged, that Jeremiah writes this chapter that we all know and love, Jeremiah 29, between the second and third siege. And in this chapter, he's writing to the exiles. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me to Jeremiah 29, verse 1, and we're going to read all the way down to verse 14. Y'all doing good? Verse 1, now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive. To the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. This happened after Jeconiah, the king, the queen mother, the the eunuchs, the princes of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who were carried away captive, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and beget sons and daughters. And take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. Some translations say seek the welfare of the city, the prosperity of the city. For in it, And pray to the Lord for it, for in its peace you will have peace. Or if it prospers, you will prosper, some translations say. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and and your diviners who are in your midst deceive you, 
nor listen to your dreams, which you cause to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. It's important to understand sort of the, that context that, that Jeremiah is directly speaking to, that the Lord is directly speaking into through the prophet Jeremiah. That he's speaking to a people that it, it largely have experienced such traumatic experiences, a people that are in a foreign land, a people that are in exile, people that aren't welcome where they now are. And you have these prophets in the land who were basically saying, don't get comfortable. God's going to come. He's going to save us. Like, don't, don't be at peace here. Don't be at rest here. It's not going to be long. They're saying all sorts of things. They're using yesterday's revelation to prophesy about today's experiences. But Jeremiah comes along and he's, he's asking God for a fresh word for these people in exile. And Jeremiah was largely unliked. He often said things that contradicted every other prophet and the the kings of Judah would rebuke him and uh, beat him and all sorts of things. But here's Jeremiah speaking to these people in exile. And I think it's a great kindness, actually. Because Jeremiah comes along and he says, listen, it is actually going to be a while. In fact, it's going to be 70 years. So get comfortable. And he says, don't diminish, don't decrease. In fact, I want you to take your sons and your daughters and marry them. Don't don't decrease, increase in number. I want you to plant gardens, eat of its fruit. I want you to build homes. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, it's going to be a while. Get comfortable. This feels like kindness of the Lord. Like, no, actually, you are going to be there in Babylon. You are going to be in exile a while. And in this very place... We see this, this verse that we all know and love. Probably most of us could quote it if we've uh, read the scripture enough times. But it's this. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. It's in this place. God didn't write this. God didn't speak this through Jeremiah just so we could put it on our walls with some cursive letters. <laughs> I know the plans I have for you. There's nothing wrong with that. But he was speaking to these people in the midst of their exile and saying, I have a plan. It's going to be 70 years, everybody. But in, at the end of those 70 years, I'm going to come and I'm going to free you from this place. So hold on to hope. Hold on to hope. Build homes. Marry your sons and daughters. Plant gardens. And then he says this, that I find curious in in verse 7. 
You know, this series, we've been talking about legacy. And two weeks ago, we kicked this off by talking about our purpose here on earth, how we are, we are but sort of travelers through this earth, right? And our hope, our, my mom and I were just talking about this morning. My parents are here visiting. Hi, mom and Deb. And, um, we were just talking about that, like the finality of life, you know, that one day our hope as Christians, as believers is in heaven. It's in our great salvation. And as, as Paul describes in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is not here. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are aliens here. <laughs> and so our purpose is not to find our satisfaction from the things of this world, but our purpose is to enjoy God and glorify him forever. Just to glorify God in the earth with our lives. Thanks, Antoine. And last week, Jess touched on how we serve a generational God, right? God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that our lives are, are not just our own. That while we are here, as maybe temporary citizens, we still have a purpose on this earth to fulfill. That we do not live a life that is solely for our own, but we live for the sake of the world as well. And that we serve a God of the generations who chose to be known that way. And that we need to be conscious of the legacy we're leaving to the generations after us to come. And she even brought up this study of looking at like people that were basically successful in their faith all their days in communities. And some of the things that set these communities apart was that they had generations that they were receiving from above them. Generations on their same level and generations they were pouring into. That there was multi-generational representation. And I love in this church that we have that. And I want to challenge us this morning as we're looking to leave a, a life of legacy and as we look at this, this scripture, particularly verse 7, that there is an instruction to us as believers how we are called to walk out our, our temporary citizenship here, amen? How we're called to walk this out. Like, like the exiles in a foreign place, we too can, can gather uh, such incredible instruction from this passage. And I want to ask us the question, how are we called to the world around us? How are we called to the nation? How are we called to the cities we've been placed in? You know, Embrace Durham, the whole name came for that because the Lord, uh, the Lord actually gave me a dream where we had moved from our campus in Raleigh and we'd moved to Durham and a few who shall remain nameless were still making jokes about Durham. And I felt the Lord saying, embrace the place we, I've now planted you. And so how are we called to embrace the place that the Lord has planted us, the city that the Lord has planted us? What does it look like to seek the welfare, to seek the prosperity, to seek the peace of our cities? What does it look like to pray for your city? To pray for the leaders in your city, to pray for the people. What does it look like to be for this city? And so this morning, I want to kind of hone in on two points from this, this, this text. Number one being, we are called to seek the welfare, seek the peace and prosperity of our cities. 
Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am always with you to the end of the age. Matthew 5, 14. I want to read that as well. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. Matthew 5, 14. Jesus says this, he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, it's so easy to become enthralled with our own lives, to kind of just look down, narrow-minded. It's our human nature. But there is a world around us that is longing for Jesus. There is a world around us. The Bible says that the, all the earth is groaning for the revealing of the sons and daughters of Christ. All of earth is groaning. This doesn't just look like churches. This doesn't just look like houses of worship. This looks like people, a people that step into their authority and their identity in Christ. And they know it and they walk it and they live it. And everywhere they go, they can't help but be a son and daughter of the most high. And so there is a world that is hungry, that is longing. And Jesus is saying, he's saying, look, just like a city on a hill, it can't be hidden. You can't be hidden. Have any of you ever driven like, I know the West Coast of California, my my family loved doing road trips. But when you see a city at night in the distance, it's obvious. Because it's not like the big highways here, down, down here in the south with like eight lanes it's like you're driving through windy mountains. There's not a billion street lights everywhere. There's not signs lit up everywhere. There's not McDonald's everywhere you go. You're like traversing through mountains. And when all of a sudden in the distance, you see the lights of that city shining. And you're like, oh, we're getting close. And he's saying he's likening us to the city and he's likening us to this light. And he's saying, listen, a lamp, you don't, you don't hide it. You put it on a stand. Why? So everyone can see it. So that in the midst of the darkness, the light can shine. And you, everybody, we are that light that cannot be hidden, that cannot be placed down. We are that light that has to shine to the world around us. We can't keep this good news to ourselves or for ourselves. We have to be mindful of the world around us, the people that are longing and groaning. You know, what happens when all of a sudden the blessing of God in your life becomes the testimony to your neighbors or your colleagues? And your neighbors are coming to you because you've had a successful marriage and they've been saying, what's your secret? And you're like, there's this thing in the Bible that Jesus taught me called forgiveness. And without it, you will not survive marriage. (laughs) And I've learned through the power of Jesus to forgive my spouse for all the ways that they've come up short and to find my ultimate satisfaction, not in them, but in Christ because a spouse can't fill that hole. 
What if that becomes the testimony to tell your neighbor about Jesus? What happens when the relationship with your kids, the health of your family, they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> I need to know. You know, it's like friends ask you for advice and they say, don't use, don't use any church stuff in there. And you're like, how do I even give you advice? <laughs> Without Christ, I am nothing. <laughs> but with Christ, I am everything. What happens when the success and the wisdom of Christ in our jobs becomes a testimony to your colleagues? You know, I loved when I was out at Bethel hearing some of Chris Valton's stories of struggling with this like computer program that they needed for their, his mechanic, uh, his shop. And the Lord like literally gave him the download of the code he was missing in the middle of the night in a dream. And he put it in and it like worked and it like transformed the way they did business. And it's like, what if the wisdom of God and the blessing of God becomes what the, world, the very world is coming to you to hear and see and know and long for? You know, the generational covenant to Abraham was that as Abraham was blessed, all the nations would be blessed through him. That's what God said. All the nations would be blessed through you. That the very blessing we've received is, is for the nations. So we can't keep this for ourselves, everybody. What happens when we begin to seek the welfare and the peace of our city? What happens when we begin to bless our cities? What happens when our, our blessing, our testimony becomes for the city? And we freely give away the knowledge and wisdom of Jesus. And I can't help but wonder as I read this text, like the few untold stories I would imagine of some of the exiles in Babylon and the blessing of the Lord and favor of their Lord on their lives and how it transformed their communities. And look no further than Daniel, right? Daniel, a young man who was stripped from his home, who was one of the, the, uh, the, the young the exiles, is the word I'm looking for. One of the exiles, and he's brought into the king's command, and he's, he's stripped of his manhood, he becomes a eunuch, and he has to serve the king. And he was a man that was so seeking the welfare that when King Nebuchadnezzar came to him in Daniel chapter 4 and said he had a dream... He explains the dream. He says, I saw this. The king explains the dream, says, I saw this large tree. And all of a sudden, a holy one, a being, came and chopped down the tree. And all that was left was a stump among the beasts and the wildlife. And Daniel, understanding instantly the interpretation of the dream, that it was regarding King Nebuchadnezzar. And ultimately, God humbling him and bringing him as low to be a stump among the beasts. He says this in Daniel chapter 4, verse 19. He says, my Lord... May the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. Daniel was so seeking the welfare of the city, so seeking the welfare of somebody that we would probably point our finger at and call a wicked king or a wicked politician. And he's seeking his welfare and saying, may this dream be for interpretation be for your enemies. And that didn't mean he compromised. That didn't mean he didn't tell King Nebuchadnezzar the truth. He told him the interpretation as the Lord showed him. He told him that it was for him. But he was seeking the welfare of the city. He was taking that to heart. What happens when we radiate the character of Christ in our communities? When our very lives become the witness of Jesus. When like our love becomes the, the very attraction of the nations, the way that we can love people, right? 
When the ways that we sacrifice of ourselves and our times for the poor and the needy and the widow and the orphan, as the Bible says, is the world is like, I need to know about your Jesus because there's something about you that's different. You know, I love uh, our outreach pastors. I love Justin and Kelly in this room. Don't y'all love Justin and Kelly? Amazing, amazing pastors, huge hearts. You know, what I love about them is they're not just kind of like a, a flash in the pan. They're not just some celebrity pastor. In Jesus' name, let us never have any of that around here. But, um, but they're truly not. They're truly people that are, that are faithful with, with what they've been called to. And there are people that are just going because they feel like the Lord has asked them to. And they let love lead them. And so because of that, our testimony in this city has not become one of trying to have the greatest testimony to share or have the whatever it is, but our testimony has become showing up. The testimony of Christ has become that we will show up when we say we will. It has become faithfulness. It has become that we tell you we're going to be here this day, we're going to be here this day. And to have a people that are... are Showing the nature of Christ or showing the consistency of Christ, the kindness of Christ, the willingness to show up that aren't trying to get something, but are simply trying to lay their lives down for another. Right. You know, I, a couple of years ago, we had a, uh, a dear mom in our, in our community that Justin and Kelly and Embrace and many of those in this room that I could say the same things about Justin and Kelly as those of you that, that surf. Um, there was a mom who we were kind of doing life with and they would show up at the budget in time and time again to come and administer and get to know and create relationship and just be there, show up. Right. And so after about two years, uh, of coming and showing up for Maria was her name, they began to dream. What would it be like for Maria to, to get out of her current living situation and get into something a little nicer, right? And so they're dreaming this for her and they, they come up with a plan. They're like, we're going to help her. She's got to help herself in some way. We're going to help her get a job. And so they worked it out to, to have an interview with a friend who basically was a done deal. She just had to show up for the thing and she had the job. And so one, one day Kelly shows up this day for the interview, shows up at the budget and she knocks on the door and asks Maria to give her a ride. And Maria doesn't show up at the door. And for the next like 30 to 45 minutes, Kelly just began to knock on the door and pray and knock on the door and pray. And I'm sure those were some very long feeling 45 minutes, <laughs> knock on the door and pray. And it kind of, in a way, in a, be- in a beautiful way, ultimately, but broke them in this moment. And they were like, what's even the point? People don't even want help. Like, what is the point of all this? And they were just kind of expressing this hurt, this pain to the Lord. And in this place, it was this marking moment for y'all, really, you were saying when we were chatting about this this weekend, where the Lord showed up and said, well, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to still come tomorrow? Because I come for you every day. And so obviously those are one of those things where you're like, oh, yes, Lord. <laughs> you can do nothing but weep and be like, you do show up for me every day. And so what did they do? They kept showing up. And obviously they had a conversation with Maria. They said, hey, when we showed up to drive you to the interview, you didn't show up. And that sucked. <laughs> but they kept showing up for her. And they were sharing with me that after a while, their, their heart kind of changed. And it was 
from what is our dream for Maria to Maria, what are your dreams? And they began to work with her and dream with her. And after something like a year and a half, to make a long story short, Maria found a husband who got a great job. Their daughter, Rosa, graduated high school a year early, and she got a full ride uh, to High Point University where she did a double major in architect and business. What's the point? What happens when we show up? What, what happens when we embody the nature and character of Christ? What happens when we seek the welfare of our city? What happens when we seek the peace and prosperity of our city? What happens when we're faithful? And I just like, I think about this phrase, seek the welfare of your city, and I think about who they're speaking it to to those that are in exile, to those that have experienced traumatic experience, to those who are probably unloved in their place. And if they can be called to seek the welfare of their city, how much more can we as believers to seek the peace and prosperity of our cities? Jesus said in John 13, 35, he said, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. I want to say today that we will not win the world to Jesus through a rhetoric of division, through a rhetoric of bitterness, gossip, slander, hatred. That we must radiate Christ. And the world's, I mean, just look at the church at times, disagreeing on things, all the church splits and all the different denominations. And the world's going like, well, I don't want that. So what does it look like to be like Jesus, to be a people that are seeking the welfare of our cities? Y'all good? We are the light of the world. Tell somebody, you are the light of the world. Tell the other person next to you, you are the light of the world. What does it look like to walk up the Great Commission, to heal the sick, to disciple nations? Who have you been discipling recently? That's a question I've been asking myself. That's for another day. Point number two. We are called to pray for our city. We are called to pray for our city. It said Jeremiah 29, 7. Pray to the Lord for it. Pray to the Lord for Babylon because if it prospers, you too will prosper. The nature of the exile's prosperity was tied to the prosperity of the city, everybody. And so when's the last time we took a moment to pray for our city, to pray for the crime in our city, to pray for violence, to pray for, to pray for our leaders, to pray for our government, to pray for our communities, to pray for our neighbors? When's the last time? I loved, you know, back in high school, two of my closest friends, I just began to pray for that they would come to know Jesus. And then when you would hang around the Ninibers, you couldn't help but hear about Jesus because it's just who we were. So I didn't have to shove the gospel down their throats. I really didn't. It was just like, you want to be my friend? This is who I am. But they were attracted to the health and wholeness and like of our family. And they were attracted to like this safe space where we all love Jesus. We sang worship together. We had a house church. We played volleyball together. We did all this stuff. Like they were attracted to it. And before you knew it, my friends gave their life to Jesus. Because there was something so attractive as, be, as we just modeled Christ and as we began to pray. And so we pray and we've been 
just over the last 12 months, we, um, Jess and I have been particularly st- kind of stirred even more by the Lord to pray, even for this community. And so I want you to know on, on Mondays at staff meetings, we are taking time, pretty much every staff meeting, if not the whole staff meeting, literally, because we feel really impressed by the Lord to do so. But we are praying for this community. We are praying for you guys to prosper. We are praying for all to prosper. We are praying for marriages to prosper, for businesses to prosper, for sickness to be far from us. We're praying for our cities. We're praying for some of the crime and violence that's been taking place in our city, not under our watch. And so we must be a people who pray. This is the invitation. Matthew 5, says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2 says this. It says, therefore, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all. Somebody say all. All men. For kings, say kings. And all who are in authority. All right, good job. Those are extra points, bonus points. I didn't tell you to do that. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. How many know we don't just pray for those we like? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for rulers and authorities, regardless of political belief or alignment. When we seek the welfare of our cities, when we pray for those, our cities, it transcends all sorts of allegiances. And we say, God, come in our cities now. Have your way with our people. Have your way with our rules. Have your way with our governor. Have your way with our lieutenant governor. Have your way with our neighborhoods. Have your way in the crime in our city. Have your way. We're inviting Jesus to come and have his way. And why wouldn't we want him to be involved? He can do a far better job than we can. He can do a far better job than our politicians can. And our hope is in him, not them. And I believe that as we do this, as we begin to seek the welfare of our cities, as we begin to pray for our cities, we will, we will find that we are living a legacy unto the next generations. That we, it will be impossible not to be a people that are conscious of the generations to come as we go after them and as we love them and show them the nature of Christ, as we pray for them. Because prayer does something. Prayer changes not just, not just like the Lord listening, but it changes our heart. In the, in the process. My little boy is saying yes and amen. Amen, Valor. John the disciple comes to Jesus in Luke 11 and he says, Lord, teach us how to pray. And we were singing this morning, our father, but Jesus replies and says, when you pray, say our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray, we are asking for the kingdom of of heaven to come. And we are asking for the will, the mind of Christ to be manifest in our cities, to be manifest around us. Your kingdom come, your will be done here now, Jesus, in our cities. It's easy to look at the things in our cities, the things around us, and to find something to be upset about, to find something to be disappointed at, to find something to point the finger at, to find something to hate at. 
but how much better of an invitation for those that love Jesus to bless our cities and not curse our cities, to bless our rulers and not curse our rulers, to seek the welfare of our cities, to think if there's a need, how can I help? How can I change? And I'll say in the first service, like as we seek the welfare of our city, if you don't know how to do that, if you don't know what that looks like, this is a sort of dipping the toe in the water, but get involved on a Tuesday going out into our city and loving on our city with our, with the outreach here. You know, it's so much beyond just an event. It, it becomes our lives. It becomes our jobs. It becomes our homes. But if you're like, I don't even know where to begin, get involved, figure out, learn, grow. We're all in this together. Okay. But let's learn to be a people that bless and not curse our city. Let's learn to be a people that pray for our city. And let's learn to be a people that seek the welfare of our city. And we will see generations and generations to come of a legacy of the fame of Jesus being passed down through, through the generations. Because the world will know us by our fruit. And if our fruit is rotten, they're not going to want anything to do with it. I want to invite you to stand with me. Love for us to to do two simple things this morning. Let's just start by just having a moment with ourselves in the Lord and just ask the Lord, Lord, how can I seek the welfare of my city? Father, how can I walk out this great call to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be the salt and light of the earth? Lord, teach us. Come on, if you want to pray that prayer, just pray it in your own words. Lord, would you teach us how to seek the welfare of our cities? Teach us how to love our cities. Teach us how to love our cities. Cities are just made up of people and neighborhoods. Y'all know that? Governments, a lot of things. But if you boil it down to simplest form, it's people gather in one place. Lord, teach us how to love the people in our cities as well. Teach us how to love like you, Jesus. Teach us how to seek the welfare of those around us. Secondly, we're just going to take another couple minutes and I'd love for us just to gather in a couple groups around the room. If you could find a group of, let's say five or so around you, don't be weird, don't be shy. Just real quickly, find a couple people. I know it's a little different. I didn't do this in first, but I feel, I feel prompt to do this. And let's just take a moment and let's practice. Let's activate our spirits, okay? Can we do that? So I'd love for us just to gather in prayer together this morning as one body of believers. Pray for our city to prosper. Pray for peace in our city. Pray for our rulers in authority and government. 
Pray for education. Pray for our families. Pray against crime and violence. And pray ultimately for the kingdom of God to come and the will of God to be done. So just for the next two or three minutes, just kind of popcorn style, begin to pray. Don't be shy. Thank you so much for joining us. There are so many opportunities to grow, connect, and be encouraged. To learn more, visit ctfraleigh.com and follow us on social media. Thank you so much for being part of the family. We are so thankful for you.